Adam Curry, John C. Devorak. It's Thursday, July 25th, 2013. Time for your Gitmo Nation Media Assassination, Episode 533. This is No Agenda. Coming to you from, well, kind of parts unknown, not really from anywhere. Although I'm in Amsterdam or I'm in the south of France, I don't know. I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where I'm on tape, I'm John C. Devorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill in the morning. <laughs> That's right, everybody. Um, I'm here um, uh, recording this for you in the lowlands, although right now I'm probably enjoying my uh, uh, champagne-soaked time in the sun in the south of France. Right, and this is clip show two. We've had uh, Ramsey Kane did the clip show for us, and it's in two parts. And it's an outstanding clip show. And uh, which, just, which could even be used as a, a primer or a primer, as you might call it, so that uh, primer, yeah. yeah. So, so someone who has never heard the show before is now listening to this intro, going, "I'm not going to listen to this crap. Listen to yeah, these guys. Well, <laughs> you should listen to it. <laughs> yeah, you should. Uh, but there's also show 200.5, which is another one. You can go to the archives at noagendanation.com archives and and get to show 200.5, which is a show long ago, which pretty much des- describes the history of the show. And also there's the website, the Wikipedia entry on No Agenda. Plus, if you just Google No Agenda, you'll find all kinds of stuff. But I think before we yak too much, let's get the, the first part of the Clips show started. All right. Hit it. Interesting. Yeah, well, well, talking about screwed up... Uh, Politicians, I got. I do have a. Before we get into the meat of the show, I do have a, a drunk or not drunk. Oh, hold on a second. Let's uh, get That's our. Uh, now we have to do. This the, is a Pat Leahy. Drunk or not drunk. Who is this? Pat Leahy. Oh, good old Pat Leahy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to tell me what do you think? Is he drunk or not drunk? Does he's he's you know chairing a committee? And uh-huh. Here he goes. Okay. Senator drunk. And then Senator Grassley, now I'll get the last word, and we'll have a roll call vote on final. <laughs> Senator Coons. Or Senator Flake, rather, Senator Flake. Uh, just needed to file a statement for the record with regard to Flake number three, the amendment to clarify uh, something on it. Is that okay? Thank you. And, and that will be done. I also, um, without, while well, everybody's here without objection, <laughs> I'd ask that the Senate Legislative Council be given permission to make the usual technical and conforming changes to the bill as amended. <laughs> no objection to that objection, Senator Coons. Okay, um, no, he's not drunk. He's slathered, is what he is. He's completely. Just play that little beginning again. He's completely obliterated. Now that that beginning is really good. Hold on a second. Here we go. Uh, um, uh, Senator Cornyn and Senator Grassley. Now get the last word. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, he's just tired. He's just tired. <laughs> Right. We're getting killed here. Well, here, here, of course. Org slash na, please. Time for our segment. You slaves can get used to mac and cheese, mac and cheese, mac and cheese, cheese macaroni and cheap cheddar melted together. Mac and cheese, mac and cheese, mac and cheese. So, so I, I don't know what it is. Somehow we ride on the consciousness of uh, of the universe, but. Yeah, and maybe it's maybe it is because you know we we bought a three speed bike and now you see three speed bikes riding around everywhere, but I just can't get away from it now. Oprah Winfrey opens up about the time she was depressed and scarfed down thirty pounds of mac and cheese. Okay, so that's yep. Oprah Winfrey. But now, if we if we had a story about mac and cheese in a cup in a mug on NPR on Thursday, 
Oh, but they're not stopping. Oh, no, no, no. Let's return to something we've been chewing on from an earlier story in our On the Run series. In Monday's report, Araceli Flores made this observation. I could buy a box of macaroni and cheese for a dollar. <laughs> a bunch of bananas will cost me over a dollar. Strawberries are $4. Oh. Oh, a bag dollars. of apples is going to cost me $5. I mean, oh. way more pricier to buy vegetables and fruits than it is to buy boxed food. Yes, it's true. The guy you heard at the end there is Barry Popkin. He's a nutritionist and economist at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He explained why that's true. Now, notice in this report, you will not hear anyone say, it's probably better to uh, eat the fruit. <laughs> this right, is, than a box. <laughs> this isn't even real cheese. This is no, well, actually, the cheapest the cheap is a classic garbage. Well, here it is. We have a processed packaged food industry, which is enormously efficient. It takes a little bit of wheat. It takes a little bit of artificial cheese. It uses lots of chemicals, flavors, and it makes these magical, tasty foods. Dinner! (laughs) How is this guy a spokesman? Well, he's the nutritionist. I really understand him through his lisp. Well, Well, he's going to tell you why this is so much better to have some wheat some artificial cheese and some chemicals. Are going to defend this? <laughs> kind of. That are very inexpensive. Pop- it's inexpensive. Ken says mac and cheese also beats out fresh food when you factor in other costs to the consumer like labor and time. So here it is, time. Are you see- kidding me? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> this been a clip of the day if you didn't have the Maxine Waters clip. But this is the NPR telling you that it's obvious why we like mac and cheese and why we want it's more of it. should be ashamed of themselves. So one, it's only one dollar, and you can't even get a banana for a dollar. The time it takes to cook a mac and cheese is very short. <laughs> It's, it it, it cu- cooks in the microwave. And, and it fills you up. The t- and it fills you up. time it takes to cut up the strawberries, to cut up the fruit, to, to make it easy. It adds time. It takes so it long. Time. You're eating mac and cheese. you got nothing but time on your hands. You're kidding. <laughs> I got no time to cut the strawberry. Give me a- Man, I got to eat mac and cheese and get out of here. I'm in a hurry. I'll eat it in the car, honey. (laughs) The other side is getting it from the farmer all the way through to the store, keeping it looking good and not having it spoiled takes a lot of refrigeration, takes a lot of complex steps that are very expensive. He says another factor is a long history of government subsidies for food production, but not so much for fruits and veggies. Oh, she said it too. Veggies. veggies, veggies. Screw your veggies, slave. Have your veggies. I got veggies here. <laughs> Screw your veggies. veggies. Have your mac and cheese. You're in a hurry. Get to your work. Eat your mac and cheese in a mug on the way. Well, there is solace. This is becoming a regular show report. Yes. The mac and cheese the mac report. And, the mac and cheese we need report. A jingle. We totally would. Oh, Sir Jeff Smith. Where's our mac and cheese report? Well, we need to make it a little different than just Mac and Cheese Report. It has to be living the life of, like, thug life, you know, like Tupac, thug life. It'd be like Mac and Cheese life. You know what I mean? It's like it's something like that. Life at Mac and Cheese. So, just when you thought... What an idiot. That was the worst example of anything I've ever heard from NPR. Oh. And people listen to this as it's some sort of national treasure. Yeah. It's a humiliation. Yeah. It's shameful. I watched this, so I recorded it. Because, of course, the first thing I had to watch by 
request was uh, beyond the candelabra. Uh. You actually asked me if I had watched that. I was like, why is he asking? There must be some reason for this. There must be something really important about this movie. <laughs> if, you know what, John? Fuck you. That's two hours of my life gone for good. <laughs> that was the most, I mean, it was the most senseless. It was painful. Did you watch it? Well, it took me three viewings because I, I got, it was, it, I was morbidly curious because it was a piece of crap. It was, it Let's was, start with that. It was, the, it was the absolute, it was, there was no reason for it. Everything was gratuitous. I, you know what my theory is? Mm. My conspiracy theory? Um <laughs> uh, is I believe after watching the movie yeah. uh, that that Michael Douglas, when he maybe when he was younger, or maybe his dad introduced him to Liberace at some point. Oh, and I think Liberace either tried something or did something or or somehow offended. And this uh, is his little way. Michael. Right. This is his way of getting back at him posthumously. And this is a. This is a. I mean, this is not a complimentary portrayal in any sense. No, he's no. a per bald pervert. <laughs> Yeah, who, yeah. Who is just played up as a, not only a bald pervert but a, a a backstabber, a creep. This is the worst. I mean, if this is the, his legacy is embodied in this movie, Michael Douglas got back whatever justice he felt yeah. necessary to do. There's there's something behind the story. I totally agree. And uh, and although the gratuitous ass shots of uh, of Matt, uh, what's his name? Matt Damon. Matt Damon. I mean, all right. Nice, nice butt, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. After the tenth time I've seen you getting out of the hot tub, he loves his butt. <laughs> he loves showing his butt with his little, with his little tan line. Are you clipping your nails again? No. What are you doing? I was opening something. Mm-hmm. So something really interesting happened yesterday, John. Really? Yeah, very interesting. Okay. So uh, we have one of our producers, uh, Ken, um, uh, produces YouTube videos under the name Arsonomics. And what he does is he takes audio from our show and then he'll uh, make a screencast and he'll show you know the show notes and different websites that we're talking about. And it's a very entertaining way to propagate the formula. And he's done a lot of these for us so far. And uh, he, he, I think he actually started off by doing this with the, uh, the Pipelines Theory, episode 381, if I'm not mistaken. And um, he got an email from someone who wanted to uh, uh, talk to the person who had uh, <clears throat> who had you know done this video, and he forwarded this email to me, and um, and this uh, person uh, reached out to me. Feras is his name, and he is a producer in Damascus, a television producer in Damascus, in Syria, and he says, "I want to interview you about the pipeline theory. Uh, please give me a call." I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I mean, do we, I don't think we have any listeners in Syria, do we? That we know of? Have we ever received any? We haven't had any donations from Syria right. that I know of. Uh, we might have. I we'd have to look it up in the database. Because of course, if you think Syria, you think a bunch of bunnies in the sand, you know, you know, getting blown up, and it's a a war zone. You know, you kind of don't expect to get a, a cell phone number and just hey, give me a call whenever it works for you. So last night, I'm prepping the show. It's about a quarter to 12, so that's, uh, I think, a quarter to 7 or a quarter to 8 in Syria. And I checked the number. It's 0963, so, you know, which is the number for Syria. That's the country code for Syria. I'm like, I'll give him a call. And um, can you guess what the first thing is that he said to me? He's a no-agenda listener. 
almost as good. Yes. Uh, hi, it's Adam Curry. Hi, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, very, very interesting, Terry. Actually, I'm really impressed. Uh, let me have, but have a question. Are you the same Adam Curry, uh, the MTV guy? <laughs> what? Brother. Yeah, that's me from uh, the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah. did, did you do you watch yeah, that? In, uh, did you watch that in series? Yes, it is. You know, yeah, it's really an amazing show. Um, Mr. Adam, are you interested in uh, coming here? Uh, that makes some sense. Because we have a savior. And uh, this is a, uh, a YouTube clip that has now gone viral from Benjamin Fulford. Are you familiar with this name? Uh-uh. Benjamin Fulford has been getting a lot of exposure in the past couple of weeks. Um, he is, a, as he says, a representative of the White Hat Dragon Organization. I think that's what it is. The White Dragon Organization. And this is a YouTube clip How from Japan. How do you Japan. spell his name? Benjamin Fulford. Yeah. F-U-L-F-O-R-D. And uh, he did a press conference with two amazing guys, and I'm going to play you his intro because we, my friend, are saved. Fellow humans, uh, I am Benjamin Fulford, spokesperson for the White Dragon Society. With me here is Chodoin Daikaku. He is the head of the world's martial arts societies, and if necessary, and in, in an emergency, he can summon up an army of 200 million people worldwide. That's 200 million ninjas, John. <laughs> 200 million ninjas who can worldwide. be summoned worldwide in a heartbeat. Here on my right is Alexander Romanov, who is a grandmaster of an Illuminati group that, ca that claims to have started the French, Russian, and American revolutions. As you may know, there has been a battle going on over the future of this planet. Uh, the Western countries have been taken over by a mafia organization all composed of members of the same clan, and they're not Jews, okay? They worship Lucifer. Hey! Um, and they want a world government controlled by them with the rest of us in perpetual debt slavery and drudgery and with no hope of ever ruling our own destinies. We offer a very different vision. We offer world peace. We offer $100,000 for every man, woman, and child to be delivered in the form of schools, hospitals, free education, nature preserves, and all the sort of things that most people want. We all want to stop world poverty. We want to stop environmental destruction. And we all wish to have a prosperous and happy and peaceful future. And that's the alternative we are offering. Thank you. So um, this guy could be a little, have a little more charisma. Let me just read you from his blog. As predicted, the collapse of the Satan-worshipping financial mafia is accelerating. Well, US this is the guy that's been tracking all the bankers, by the way, who have been quitting and leaving, the 350 okay. bankers. So, you know, I have learned, John, in my life never to laugh at the crazy guy. You also shouldn't argue with him. But never... Well, that's for sure. Never laugh at him because that is... Typically, the guy who is right on top of his game or has a billion dollars to invest, or I've seen it so many times that I don't laugh too hard. I did have to laugh about the, the guy who can summon the 200 million ninjas. This guy is fantastic. He's wearing a bowler hat. He's got a big stick 
with all kinds of ropes and snakes off of it. And he's got like, he's got the sunglasses. I mean, he's not only that, he has the voice. And he believes that Putin, who is a judo uh, student, is the right guy to lead the, the world. Oh. And his 200 million ninjas. And, and, and listen to, because uh, Benjamin, who speaks fluent Japanese, I guess, will translate. But listen to the guy's voice. He's everything you want in the ninja leader master. I love Benjamin going, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yes, the the international associations of Bushido, Karate, Judo, Kung Fu, etc. can muster worldwide at any given time 200 million people. And they only fight under the code of chivalry, which is you don't attack women, children, and non-combatants, which is what the other side has been doing. <laughs> I love this guy. But you know what? I bet you there's something to that. I bet you there is, you know, oh, yeah. of all the, the judos, the jujitsus, the, all these guys, I bet you there is an organization that has like some secret network and maybe this is oh. the guy. Yeah, sure. Listen to what he says about Putin. <laughs> He believes that with uh, Putin's help and the martial arts societies worldwide, we can cause major change. And, of course, the Illuminati, who are throughout the Western uh, intelligence agencies, military, and this is not the Italian Illuminati, this is the Gnostic Illuminati, uh, and they want meritocracy, ruled by the people who are the best people who work their way up the system, not people who are born into it and given it, have it given to them, even though they are often not very bright. So uh, it's funny, but I'm not really laughing too hard because, yeah. I, you know, well, I am. Well, OK, I knew you'd appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No, I like that guy's voice, too. He's good. He looks the part, though. He is so awesome. He's so awesome. Putin. <laughs> Putin's the man. Putin is going to save us, my friend. Yay! So just the last thing I have is a um, Feinstein did her gun control meetings on the Hill. Three hours. It was long. It was yeah, really the only long. thing that was good was the end where she forgot to call. She forgot that, the, that her setup man was sitting there patiently waiting, Blumenthal from Connecticut, to... <laughs> <laughs> and she's going to close, and she's just damn near says, that, thank you for being here. This meeting is closed, and she almost did it. And, and, but then she realized that she had screwed up because the whole dog and pony show was just about to begin. But here, have her play the Forgets Blumenthal clip. Uh, for your service to our country. If I can have just... We're going to... Oh! <laughs> Senator Blumenthal... Take some extra time. I am so sorry. Uh, well, you know, thank you. Uh, Madam Chairman, thank you. I, I, I know that uh, in the Senate, uh, freshman senators are supposed to be seen and not heard, but I'm happy to be heard today. Thank you, you've got it. <laughs> uh, I want to begin by thanking you, Madam Chairman, for... Okay, you can kill it. Because for the next Good five minutes... 
What? For the next five minutes, all he does is kiss her ass. Oh yeah, yeah. No. But then, but then, the oh, most no. I think shameful display I've ever seen in a congressional hearing follows, and with also an interesting comment he makes with the when, uh, with the clip CT senator. Okay, it's not it's not loading for some reason. Hold on. Uh, and there it is. There it is. Uh, and the simple blunt fact is Listen. that. This issue was thought to be politically untouchable two months ago. We would not be here today without the horrific Newtown tragedy. So I want to begin by asking my fellow citizens of Connecticut, most particularly the members of the Newtown community, Sandy Hook Promise, the Newtown Action Alliance, as well as the families who had victims to please stand so that we can thank you publicly for your courage and your strength in this extraordinary historic moment. Thank you. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. First of all, he admits that the whole gun control thing stems from the event. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened it, it, at all. Yeah. Wouldn't have happened at all, no chance. But luckily luckily for this and the, and here's our here's our you know, our our the people that made it possible. It's like, I'm surprised they didn't bow like they would on the stage. All you needed to say is... As always, for joining us. Good to be here, Brolf. That's all you got to say. That's all you need. Just throw out a Brolf. Have you heard of the Moonlight Towers in Austin? No. So we have these... uh, They were put up in the late 1800s. These uh, 15-foot... I'm sorry, 165-foot towers that are spread out around the town... Um, and they they are meant to f- uh, be a facsimile of moonlight, and they function quite well, actually. I mean, it, it's like there's a, a full moon over Austin in town, and I'd never noticed this. I didn't know what the, that these towers existed, but they were pointed out to me last night, and these were put in place in 1885 after the servant girl annihilator uh, was... Uh, raging uh, rampant in Austin, Texas, killing servant girls. And he actually has a wiki page, the Servant Girl Annihilator. And he um, he was just killing servant girls, um, started first black girls, then white girls, and like really kind of like uh, Jack the Ripper style. In fact, it was the same time. Some people even think Jack the Ripper was the annihilator that he got on a boat and went to London later. And because everyone was so freaked out about this guy, they put up these moon towers. Well, it turns out, looking at the uh, moonlight towers or lighting structures designed to illuminate the city at night, the structures were popular across the country. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they had an Austin, Detroit, New Orleans, New Orleans uh, San Jose, uh, which I news to me. Yeah, I never heard of these. The and it looks like towers. there's still a bunch of them. Besides the one in Austin, I guess there's uh, San Jose had one, but they tore it down, and it was built in 1881. Yeah, which I believe was uh, this one really era. This was the this was the early version of street lighting. Right, right. Across the United States, they're most common in the 1880s, 1890s. Some places they were used, they were probably put in Austin because of this annihilator. Yes, because yeah. they were maybe resistant, resisting. I this, just love uh, the fact that they came up with the name for a serial killer in in 1880 called no, the it's, None of this is new. Servant Girl Annihilator. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a show title, by the way. Servant Girl, Servant Girl Annihilator. 
Coming to you soon, starring Jack Black. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really bad. So did you get? Did you see these towers? Because yeah, apparently they're, they're pretty. Because we were outside. How many are there? Uh, there's several. Uh, I think there's there's twenty or or twenty five in Austin, and the house that we were at. You know, they were saying, "Oh, there's there's a moonlight tower." I'm like, "What? It looks like this, there's a stadium nearby." No, no, no. It's, and then you look at it and you realize it's not a state. It's not stadium lighting. It's a moonlight tower. It's it's very different from stadium lighting. And I was like, "Oh," that, and then you know, people were laying into this whole story. I'm like, "Okay." Uh, how tall is it? Because the one they're showing here in San Jose, when it was there, it's not there obviously anymore. One, two, three, four, five. It looks like it's about fifteen stories high. It's like 160 feet high. It's high. It's, yeah, well, it's up there. It's up there it's, for sure. It's yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's the Moonlight Tower in... No, we're, we're at that restaurant once. Moonlight <laughs> Tower in Austin. This is a little different than the original ones. The original ones were big tripods. This is a straight-up thing. Yeah, it's a. Re, it's like a water tower, except there's no thing on top. There's a lighting on top. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's serious. Serious business, man. Huh. Serious business. Apparently in Austin, which is I guess has the uh, most of them, mm-hmm. uh, they had in 1976. They had one on Fourth and Nueces or Nueces. Nueces, yeah, Nueces. We don't know how to Gone. pronounce it either. The one on Monroe Street and First is still there. Leland and Eastside is there. The First Street and Weller is gone, and they have them all. You still have one. You have about 20 of them or more. There's a ton of them. You're right. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's cool. amazing. But this old Austin is really Two cool. Two towers have been destroyed in traffic accidents. <laughs> yeah. Two have been blown down by cyclones and six victims of rust. <laughs> Oxidation strikes again. So what's next on the ladder when you can't afford mac and cheese? It's only a dollar. Well, no, no, but what? what is cheaper than mac and cheese? I guess picking up uh, cigarette butts from the street and eating them. <laughs> no, no idea. Cat What's food. Cheaper than mac and cheese is the is the question of the show. No, cat food. Cat food is oh, even... Well, cat food's pretty pricey. No, you can get cat food for 69 cents a can, but let's say you can't even afford cat food. Then we have this. During tough economic times, many families are forced to give up their pets because they can't afford to feed them. But a new program can help. <laughs> Shut up. Don't talk. Don't talk through the cliff. They can't afford to feed them. But a new program could help. It's called Pet Food Stamps. The donation-based program can help financially strapped families afford to buy pet food and supplies. The organization is open to anyone in the U.S. You just have to apply to see if you qualify. That's right. I got a pet. I got a, I got a whole bunch of cats and dogs at home. <laughs> can I have some pet food stamps, please? Cause, oh. Did you get that clip? You're killing me with these. <laughs> That's from the news, man. That's CNN. Jeez. So, but it, obviously, people are rejoicing. Like, wow, yeah. Um, so, hey, give me that jacket. Let me roll in the cat hairs over here. Uh, yeah, we got a whole bunch of cats we're taking care of. Uh, I think I need some <laughs> cat food stamps. <laughs> free food stamps. free cat food. <laughs> and then use the stamps to buy the cat food. Then you eat it. Yes, exactly. You're right. That is pretty cheap. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. What I, I guarantee you, the, here's you want it. You want a meal for depression, cat food, mac and cheese, all in one. <laughs> like we'll call it um, tuna it's a la king. A version of the mac and cheese. <laughs> tuna a la king. <laughs> I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna serve it to my guests here. I'm gonna see if I can get away with it. I am going to make. 
uh, cat food mac and cheese. And s- I know for a fact that I could pull that off. <laughs> I'm sure you could. I mean, you're a better cook than I am, but I'd like to try it. I'd really like to try and people be like, "Wow, this is really now, good." Now, if wanted to test it properly, I mean, instead of trying to, you know, use some, you know, aged cheddar from England and no, making a, we, a fan, fancy pasta, no, we got we, we to do it with the one dollar box. Yeah, you have to do it with the one dollar box and the cheapest cat food you can buy. That you probably have to buy. I think you have to test this part. You'll have. This is my advice to you. <laughs> you get. You go to the look for the sixty nine cent cat food, and then you buy every type of it. Yeah, you got to test. You got to work on them all it. up and do a smell test. And mm-hmm. the one that doesn't stink to high heaven <laughs> is the one you use in this dish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? My hair will be all shiny. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there must be some kind of spice that yes, we can use to cover up. Better than ever. What? <laughs> there must be some herb or herb or spice that we can use that that'll. My universal herb for these sorts of things, herb. not that particular thing. Herb. But I use marjoram. Marjoram? Yeah, I think marjoram. Marjoram has become my what herb of choice. What is marjoram? Yeah, marjoram. How do you spell that? M a r j o r a m. And marjoram is sits somewhere in between the the qualities of oregano huh. without the possibility. Oregano occasionally, depending on which oregano you have, because they come from different parts of the world. But oregano will occasionally, if you use just a pinch too much, turn something bitter. It'll turn like a spaghetti right. sauce bitter. It never it just works fine on pizza, but with a spaghetti sauce, you have to be real careful because it goes bitter, and then you have to fight it. You got to put honey and butter and all yeah, kinds yeah, of. Yeah, no, you screwed. Now, you screwed. You marjoram. screwed. You can use this stuff by the handful, by the bushel. You could take a, the jar of it and dump it in. And I buy it by two pound batches. Marjoram. I use it as my salad herb. Indigenous to Cyprus and southern Turkey. Known to the Greeks and Romans as a symbol of happiness. That's right. Happy mac and cheese. But the marjoram is a great, great all purpose. Uh, and when you can get it fresh, even better. Okay, so you think that's what I should be putting in the uh, in the cat food? I'm going to try. I, I am going to do this. A little basil, too. <laughs> a basil leaf. No, no, here's, here's what you do. Here's what you do. You As you're serving it, as you're plopping out from a big vat, this, uh, you have to make it look good, but it's a big vat. It's a copper vat. It's got to be something, it's got to be a fancy Copper, look. copper, yeah. But you're, you're lopping out this cat food and mac and cheese, and you say, oh, careful, there might be a, a bay leaf still in there. You know what I mean? That kind of well, gives. It's different than a basil leaf, but a bay leaf. You should get a basil leaf and put it on top as a decoration. But you should probably put a bay leaf in there, and, and then oh, here it is. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it gives that kind of that whole a magic act. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for you to get the bay leaf. You know, it's it's that little thing that I add to my tuna a la king. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to actually pull that off, I actually it might be worth experimenting with though. Let's do it. Might, it might actually be very tasty. <laughs> you can make anything taste good. Yeah. The, well. with, during the French Revolution, the French developed a whole slew of recipes to, on how to prepare properly and eat rat. Because uh-huh. Paris is filled with rats, so sure, there's more sure. than enough protein for the, to keep people alive. Oh, rats are great. Oh, I agree. Mats, rats are good. And it turns out you cook them a little bit like a rabbit. And uh, it's just the dressing of, of them. You got to skin them and do other things. Yeah, to get it's them. just the idea. You know, we're just all That's trained. Disgusting. Yeah. Well, it's not disgusting. It's just Rat a- head soup. <laughs> it's not disgusting. It's just a little. Eh. 
Now, let's take a quick trip around the elites of the world and let's laugh at them. First, we go down under to Australia, where we're very happy that this took place. And I think it's a very good thing. We all can learn something from the Australian producers. Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard has been forced to dodge a flying sandwich for the second time this month. <laughs> she was greeting children at Lynham High School in Canberra when a student flung the salami snack. Oh, I think I must have thought I was hungry. The in- <laughs> I thought I was hungry. Flung the salami snack, I tell you. Very good, very good. So we're very, very happy with uh, with that. I think that's a good idea. You know, in uh, in Eastern cultures, we uh, we typically uh, throw a shoe. Yeah, uh, but shoes cost money. Yeah, <laughs> uh, here it's just a salami sandwich. And, I, and it's funny because the video you see that it's a, it's a shitty throw, by the way. <laughs> it's like it's not the knife throwing, you know, the crocodile Dundee that uh, that did this. But I think it's funny. Don't you think that that should be our thing now in America? Like we throw just, salami sandwiches, no, bologna, bologna sandwiches. <laughs> oh, bologna, bologna be better. Yeah. yeah, just throw a bologna sandwich at your politician if he's full of crap. Legacy media. So David Coke, Le Coke Bro. So he's was like he's the, one of the major donors to public radio. Yeah, I, I I read this story. This was uh, what was it, what was this in? It was in the New Yorker. Oh, apparently, what they did funny, was they they decided funny. to do a the, the somebody did a documentary that essentially just slammed the crap out of him do personally. You have, do you have a, cl- a do you have a clip for this or no? I have no oh, clip. I'm okay. just going to explain. It's it. funny. I like it. Good story. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I'm telling this story because this is another example of why our model for uh, survival is better than you know this other version because the PBS was torn about running the documentary on especially he, like he's on the board of WNET and he's a big supporter he's given hundreds of millions of dollars to public radio and public TV I don't know if and it's they, hundreds so of millions a, but it's a, a lot. hit piece on him on one of his companies that he's like on the board of well hold on hold on I understood that it was partially a hit piece on the building that he lives in, and it turns out that there's a whole bunch of other Democrat elites who live in the same building. Because, of course, there is that, but the true rich people are Democrats. Right, that proves that, that's for sure. But yeah, it was 7040 Park Avenue, I believe. But anyway, there was a bunch of very nasty stuff about him being a douchebag, essentially. Yeah. And so he just pulls the plug. He said, fuck it. I quit this. I quit WNET. I'm not giving you any more money, you know, if you're going to pull this crap. <coughs> and so everybody goes on and on about, oh, this just proves that, you know, they've got great moral standards at these networks. And this is what the New Yorker essentially concluded because they had a choice between one of their supporters, big time sponsor, and, and the hit piece. <laughs> and so they chose the hit piece and got rid of him. He left. Yeah. I saw it completely differently. They have never done anything like this to their other big supporters, Bank of America, Chevron. Arthur Daniels uh, Midland, Monsanto. Uh, BNSF, uh, the Burlington Northern, any of these guys, which are have, you know, they have a liberal bias. So they got the one guy who has a right wing bias. They do a hit on him. Yep. Get him out of there. But, and then they take all this, they feel so good about themselves, even though for all practical purposes, most of public television is anti 
I mean, we know this. It's it's it, anti right. It's very pro. It's very liberal. Very corny. The whole thing. <laughs> it's corny. And so this is not <laughs> just stepping up. It's corny. It's yeah. corny. Hey, come have, on. It's corny. Hey, did, did oh yeah, what was it? Uh, oh yeah, no, what it was was I. You know what's been bo- bothering me is this conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. Conspiracy theorists. Conspiracy. You know that whole thing. Uh, yeah, I live with it every day. Yeah. So I uh, I sing. Well, you know. It's not as it, we're not talking about conspiracies. We're just talking about people that are, that are lying to us <laughs> yeah. and, and trying to get around the lie and figuring out what's really going on. And so I went out of my way since I do have a New York Times subscription to dig up the old original uh, writings on the uh, Gulf of Tonkin oh, uh, incident, very good. Yeah. which is another one of those things that during this period, uh, it, you people was oh, you conspiracy oh, theorist, conspiracy person, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, when, so, when was this? When was the Gulf of Tonkin? What year was that? It was 1964. Right. I, I have all the printouts here. Right. Uh, landscape. Right. Uh, <laughs> because it's the New York Times. So, 64. But, of course, since then, obviously, you know, we've become so transparent and it's just, you know, the, the government doesn't lie to you yeah, anymore. Yeah, why would it get worse? No, that's impossible. So, anyway, so here's an example of now. You would have been, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. theorist because <laughs> you think that there was no attack. Now, the funny thing was there was this... There was a, there was two incidents that took place one day after another. Uh, the second day, and this, by the way, is what created the Vietnam War for everybody. Yes, Hello. it was very important. It was a false flag. Yeah, well, no, it wasn't even a false flag. No, it, it wasn't a false flag. It was, a, it was, it was a, bull crap. <laughs> there was no anything. It was, it was just made up out of whole cloth. Yeah, okay. So here's what happened. There were two days. The first day was apparently the, uh, we had a ship way offshore, and there was a couple of PT boats from the uh, North Vietnamese coming at, coming out there to take a look, see what was going on. And we took a couple of shots at them. Much later determined that the, the, the first story was, oh, they shot at us, and so we had to fire back. The, the real story that came out later was, no, we shot at them to get them away. So right. nothing happened. Right. Somebody must have come up with the bright idea that the next day – we were under attack yes. by, the, by <laughs> yeah. the North Vietnamese yeah. out here in the middle of the Gulf of Tonkin. Yes. That day, nothing happened at all. In fact, Lyndon Johnson was uh, recorded as saying... He was uh, golfing, his, wasn't he? Wasn't he just hanging out by the poolside? He said, I think they must have been shooting at whales or something. <laughs> what he but anyway, so the idea was they, they, it was just a lie. There was nothing. Right. And right. this lie persisted. Because here's an article from 1967. This is three years later. Can, can I just say? Can I just say one thing? So I'm not quite sure what you were doing with the printouts, but if you're walking around and and saying to people, "I'm not a conspiracy theorist," here, look at this printout from 1964. Not, this is this is. <laughs> no, I, I, I wanted for the show. I'd like to recommend you not do that because that doesn't really work. It's for the show. Okay. All right, I don't. Well, nobody thinks I'm a conspiracy nut anyway. Uh huh. Except, for, uh, except everyone Senator on Twitter. J. W. Fulbright, in a statement, confirmed it. This is like three years later during another one of those hearings, you know, that they're having. Oh, okay, did, did this ever really happen? Confirmed today that the and the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and, and the staff meeting was inquiring into the '64 Gulf of Tonkin incidents to clear up uncertainties about reported encounters between the United States destroyers and North Vietnamese torpedo boats. Right. Just three years later, right. they're doing a little look look into it. The Defense Department right. issued a statement emphasizing that the evidence that two American destroyers were attacked by North Vietnamese torpedo boats was conclusive. <laughs> yeah. Any suggestion that the August 1964 attacks on the U.S. destroyers in the Tonkin Gulf 
did not occur is contrary to the known facts <laughs> the Pentagon statement said. <clears throat> yeah. So, the, yeah, so now if you're back there, and by the way, there was a lot of, there were sailors on the ships, and they told their mates and their, right. you know, their, their uh, girlfriends and other, you know, this, nothing happened. I don't know what this is all about. <laughs> oh, nothing happened, and you go out and say nothing happened. This is bull crap. Hey, you would be dubbed a conspiracy nut or something like that. This is just a way to marginalize the realities that are that are behind most of these stories. Well, it's, it, and, it's, and this went on for this was three years later. They're they're still denying it. Well, it's interesting you bring this up because I, um, I great lead in. Oh, play the great lead in for anything. We can use this as an a lead in for anything. If you're one of over fifty million adults who suffer from a sore mouth, <laughs> then you're in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> the best podcast in the universe. <laughs> Sore mouth. Okay, thank, thank you. That was that was well worth it. <laughs> okay, and she's uh, very pretty. This girl, of course, she is. Send more karma. Ooh, I have an update on that. Uh, the Oryx. You've yes, karma. Okay, I'm all ears. I talked to my guy yesterday, the uh, meat man. Uh, he shall go unnamed at the farmers market here in Austin. And I, and I said, hey man, can you get something for me? He says, yeah, yeah, what do you need, what do you need? Oryx. He said, oh, I'd love to get some Oryx, $1,000 for a whole Oryx, he says. That's not bad. No, but I, I don't have a freezer for a whole Oryx. Get a freezer. You can buy these little freezers. These little, you have to have a freezer if you're living in Texas. There's also something you're else. you're going to be buying meat off the hoof. There's also something else. A freezer. There's another, there's another problem. I don't have $1,000 to spend on Oryx. You're going to split it with him. It's only 500 so he says that uh, you can't, you, it's very hard to buy it because he says all these damn greenies, he says the people on these, on the hunting farms, they don't even sell it anymore. You have to, you have to find a buddy and get it because they give it to their employees. They eat it themselves because when they sell it, there's just too much hassle. So they don't even want to sell it. So you have to get it through a back door, but he says a grand and, uh, and I'm good to go. So, uh, but maybe I can split my half with someone else uh, locally. So, Ms. No, you know, and I are looking. You, you believe me, it's worth. I don't know. I, you know, if you can find a way to get half, because it's a big animal. Yeah, it's, it's not like yeah, that's what he said. No, no, he said it's huge. It's a really big animal. Yeah, yeah, it's a big animal. So it's a lot of meat, mm -hmm. and it's going to be delicious. And it's and you, but you, you, you should start shopping for a good freezer. Uh, we actually have two up in Port Angeles, and I've got one here. I should get a bigger one. Yeah, but you bought but, all that before the depression. Yeah, <laughs> funny. So anyway, uh, so I was looking into cooking Oryx. I sent you a little link to some or Oryx, how you cook it. You cook oh, it like I didn't dope. get that link. It was a, a clip. It wasn't a link. It was a, I gave a cut and paste. You don't read my email. Never mind. No, I did not get an email from you about Oryx. Yes. No. Yeah. No. I, I can find it now if you want me to. Yeah, it's in your draft box. Uh, anyway, I, I'll. you have to apologize on the next show when I send it to you. Say, look. So anyway, let me finish. So I've started thinking about these animals and what they're like in terms of cooking, because you kind of have to figure out how to cook them. You can't just, you know, do anything. Uh, it seems as if uh, these are hoofed animals that like to climb around, and do, or these are more like these are somewhere between a venison, like a gazelle, yeah. uh, and a goat. Yeah, because everyone describes the meat as it's like cooking goat, and people have to know that goat doesn't taste like what you think it tastes like. No. Goat is a great, great uh, dish that that we may have not been eating much in the United States because it's associated with poor Muslims and it's it's kind of a bigoted way of looking at. It. But goat is the is like the mildest, best tasting lamb you've ever had. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Here's your note. I apologize now. Uh, uh, Oryx, uh, this is from, uh, here it is. I dined on Oryx Chemsbok in Southern Africa. Several folks proclaim the best among the best eating. Oh, mm, okay. That's the this. different, that's yeah. the other Oryx. That's the one that's in New Mexico. Right. This isn't the scimitar Oryx because those are, those are extinct. Right. If you are ever so lucky, be decadent with the tenderloin saute, one-inch medallions lightly in butter, and whip up a brown sauce with mushrooms. Oh, oh my God! All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it. Well, it's expensive. Anyway, just well, what is it per pound though? Maybe it's maybe it's not as expensive as you think. It's a yeah, lot of pounds yeah, we're talking I am, about here. I, I'm living... It's probably day, over 100 pounds of meat, which is five bucks a pound, yeah, and look, you get a bunch of Oryx hamburgers, and can't you imagine yeah, having some buddies yeah, over yeah. And, and flying up some Oryx burgers? <laughs> but I'll, I'll ask him if I can do it on layaway. Oryx burgers. <laughs> Oryx burgers. Come on. <laughs> Would you like some ketchup on your Oryx burger? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how can you resist? All right, let's move on. Hey, you know, um, do you realize how close, how close I came to completely nailing the Super Bowl outcome? Yeah, you came pretty close. It would have been 69, and it would have been the San Francisco who won. Yeah. I mean, I within the last couple of seconds. So... That, that game, the power goes out. There was, apparently was a bet on power going out. How long? Was, how long did uh, there was a bet, a bet on power going out? That's what somebody says. I don't. I haven't really? proven it, but really, somebody says there was a Vegas bet on the power going out. Well, it was out for a total of thirty three minutes. Thirty three minutes. Yeah. And uh, here's what I caught the other night. Uh, Chris Christie, uh, the uh, governor of New Jersey, saying it's what you would do in that situation, being a parent for guys. Uh, I mean, how do you pick? And and uh, the the NFL guy Roger Goodell, he was uh, with you last night. Yeah, I was in his box. Well, yeah. What happened when uh, the lights went out? He didn't seem to care one bit. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> right? didn't, didn't he's care. Eating, he was eating some popcorn, checking yeah. his BlackBerry. I, so I think he was in on the bet. He was checking Holy his BlackBerry. Crap. Yeah, he was in on the bet. You think he would care? <laughs> no, 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 no. It doesn't care at all. Now, of course, whenever we say, oh, this is all rigged and it's fixed and people begin to laugh, but I'm sure you have heard about the 680 matches in uh, European football, soccer, which yeah. Europol rigged. is now investigating because yeah. it's all rigged, particularly well, the Champions League. 600, over 600 matches have been shown rigged. to be rigged. 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 The people always laugh. We say, "Hey, it, the fix is in. All the stuff." I thought the fix sports. was in for the Niners in this game, and I think I, the, no, they no. Can fell I tell so you? far behind? Here's Wait what I minute. think. I just want to see if, if the, the the fix can be in, and you can still go the wrong way. Somebody usually gets killed shortly thereafter. Well, here's what here's what I thought initially. Now, now I didn't know about the 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 betting on the power. That's possible. I thought now these are the the the, the coaches. They're brothers, correct? Yeah. So we had a Cain and Abel thing. I believe that the Ravens were supposed to throw the game because all professional sports are rigged. And then the brother went, F you, bro. I'm going to kick your ass. And that's why. Remember, the, I mean, if you saw, they were fighting on the field in like the first five minutes. They're all fighting and pushing because the San Francisco was like, hey, bitches, that we're supposed to be winning here. What are you doing? This is not what we agreed upon. Right, that, then they killed, and then, then they, they killed, killed the, the, the power. 
the power, and then the Niners started to catch up, and, they, and then they exactly. fell apart. They almost they couldn't they catch up. They were way it. too far behind. It was just impossible. But do you see how they they did like seventeen points in 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 fifteen minutes? Yeah, I literally think that they were that there was so much money riding on this. It was fixed. San Francisco's well, supposed to win. Then the brother goes, "Screw you, bro! I'm not playing that game. I'm go- I'm out to win." He what? What did Baltimore have to lose? They're like, "Yeah, let's do it." You know, we don't give a crap. Then they went in. They went. They went totally for the kill. Went for the win. And then you know, it's like, "Oh, we're panicking. Throw the power." And that's when San Francisco, you know, got there, kind of got it back together again. Uh, and I think because the points were much closer, that even if people lost. At least that point spread wasn't so enormous, so the so the power outage helped the guys who would, were in on the game. Does that make any sense? No, well, no, because okay. the, power, the, the point spread okay, was well, I'm glad. four <laughs> points, five points for Baltimore. So the Baltimore team could have lost and still won the bet. Okay. But it, to me, that's what it felt like. Well, it felt fishy to me, too, and the Niners have had history of having kind of corrupt games, even though nobody wants to ever talk about it. But I remember they had a game against the uh, Cincinnati, and and the guy, Eddie D. Bartolo, who is the original owner that brought the team back from, from uh, essentially from the seller of the league yeah. and made them five times champion, more or less, uh, there was always something fishy about every game. There'd be a, a, like one of the top linemen on the other team would mysteriously disappear before the Super Bowl. <laughs> Seriously, there's all these guys who think so. I figure all oh, the Niners are always going to win because there's this kind of stuff going on. I think that this, this, I think your your theory is basically correct, and I think somebody's going to be end up dead in the next three yeah. months. I think that's very that's very possible, and it's probably going to be that dude who killed two people. What's his name? What, what dude who? Killed yeah, there's two the, there's the dude who, who the player. The dude who killed two people and he got off. No, no, he's the <laughs> kill him. He's the expendable. He's on the Baltimore team. They gotta kill somebody. No, they got to kill somebody who who made the deal. It's oh, be somebody probably so, in the Niners organization or maybe uh, the Baltimore organization. Somebody's gonna get killed though. I'm telling you, kill that guy as a warning. Well, let's, we'll see. Because all the, I know is that if we <laughs> watch in the red book, it's in the red book. Somebody <laughs> in the in the league somewhere along the lines in the NFL is going to be mysteriously murdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to take just a moment here to play this little clip. Uh, it was sent to us uh, by one of our producers. I think you received it as well. Uh, this is a uh, a great clip from the fifties. Maybe, yeah, it's, it's gotta be late fifties, I guess, of, uh, Rod Serling. Did you see the clip that was sent to us by our, uh. Yeah, it's, it was part of a, yeah, one of his old interviews. It was quite interesting. It's actually, this it, is the one, is this the one about how he, he yeah, this is a good So one. actually, this is before, uh, before he, um, before the Twilight, because he was a, a producer, actor, writer, before the Twilight Zone, which is he's most famous for, I guess. What what other things did did, did Rod Serling do? He, he must Rick have him for a heavyweight. He won a crapload of awards for his dramas. Yeah, I mean the, the guy was awesome, and it's cool because it's funny. Mickey was uh, uh, was you know taking some stuff off the wall while I'm you know recording this clip. And she, so she couldn't see it, but she said, wow, the guy really talks old fashioned. I said, yeah, this is an interview from 1950. She said, oh, wow. Cause, you know, cause he, it, it is kind of that 1950s vibe. And I think he's talking to, uh, who's the big CBS guy? Um, uh, Morrow? Is, is it? Uh, I don't know who he's talking to. Anyway. If it was uh, in color, it wasn't Morrow. No, it was black and white. 
okay. and, and he's smoking on camera too, which is kind of no, cool. He's a, yeah, well, he died he's, of smoking. Yeah, but it's still cool that he's just smoking on camera. Just you know, <laughs> I know they used to all do that. Smoking he used to away. smoke on his intro on the Twilight yeah, Zone. Awesome, come out smoking. awesome, awesome. I mean, can't you put it down for one minute, Rod? <laughs> so this is from the uh, <clears throat> the more things change, the more they stay the same. 1950s, and one of the reasons why we have our value-for-value value model here on No Agenda. Uh, pre-censorship is a practice, I think, of most television writers. I can't speak for all of them. This is the... Actually, it's Mike Wallace. ...prior knowledge of the writer of those areas which are difficult to try to get through. And so a writer will shy away from writing those things which he knows he's going to have trouble with on the sponsorial or an agency exactly. level. Exactly. We practice it all the time. We just do not write those themes which, you know are going, which we know are going to get into trouble. Who's the culprit? Is it the network, the sponsor? It sure is not the FCC. No, it's certainly not the FCC, ideally speaking, of course. It's a combination of culprits in this case, Mike. It's partly network. It's principally agency and sponsor. In many ways, I think it's the audience themselves. How do you mean? Well, I'll give you an example. About a year ago, roughly 11 or 12 months ago, on the Lassie show, this is a story usually told by Sheldon Leonard, who was then associated with the show. Lassie was having puppies. And I have two little girls, then age five and three, who are greatly enamored of this beautiful collie. Mm -hmm. And they watched the show with great interest. And Lassie gave birth to puppies. And Mike, it was probably one of the most tasteful and delightful and warm things uh, depicting what is this, this, this wondrous thing that is birth. And after the show, I, I think there were many congratulations all around because it was a lovely show. The sort of thing I'd love my kids to watch to show them what is the birth process and how marvelous it is. They got many, many cards and letters. Sample card from the Deep South, this was. If I wanted my kids to watch sex shows, I wouldn't have had them turn on that. I could take them to burlesque shows. And as a result of the influx of mail, many of the cards, incidentally, as Sheldon tells it, were postmarked at identical moments, all in the same handwriting, but each was counted as a singular piece of mail. And as a result, the directive went down that there would be no shows having anything to do with puppies, that is, in the actual birth process. Well, obviously, it is this wild, lunatic fringe of letter writers that, that greatly affect what the sponsor has in mind. You can understand the position of the sponsor, can't I, you? In, in many ways, I suppose I can. He's there to push a product. He has a considerable stake, does, in what goes on the air. Most assuredly. And in those cases uh, where, we, where, there, where there is a, a problem of, of, of public taste, in which there is a concern for, for uh, eliciting negative response from a large mass of people. I can understand why the guys are frightened. I don't understand, Mike, for example, other evidences and instances of, of intrusion by sponsors. For example, on Playhouse 90, not a year ago, a lovely show called Judgment at Nuremberg. Uh, I think probably one of the most competently done and artistically done pieces that 90's done all year. In it, as you recall, uh, mention was made of gas chambers. Yeah. And the line was deleted, cut off the cut off the cut off the uh, soundtrack, and uh, it mag it mattered little to these guys that the gas involved in concentration camps was cyanide, which bore no resemblance, physical or otherwise, to, to the gas used in Stowe. They cut the line because the sponsor was. He did not want that awful association made between what was the horror and the misery of Nazi Germany with the nice chrome wonderfully antiseptically clean, beautiful kitchen appliances that they were selling. Now, this is an, is an example of sponsor interference, which is so beyond logic and which is so beyond taste. This I rebel against. You've got a new series coming up called The Twilight Zone. 
<clears throat> so, of course, the most important uh, part of that piece is really at the beginning where he talks about the pre-censorship where uh, these uh, topics just are just not even broached. They just don't even come up, just not even just because it, it'll never work. You can never you can't say that you can't air that you can't do this. You can't do that. And uh, and if you do, then, uh, well, look, they will have letter writers, which, of course, is all bull crap. But people go after the sponsors. No, and uh, I, I've talked about this a lot uh, as a writer, and because uh, people always like you know the, the argument is well you know Microsoft is telling you guys what to write, and by the way Microsoft's not the worst actor in this kind of thing, and then you say and, it was, and it's really ironic that people would say always cite Microsoft especially like when you write for PC Magazine because Microsoft was one of the lousiest advertisers they never they never advertise they don't have any 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 push at all. Uh, but anyway, but what they do have is a lot of public relations guys that used to. They don't do this much anymore. I think this is really hurting them. Uh, but they used to be hound, they'd hound the editor. Oh, how can you run that guy's stuff? <laughs> um, so there's a point where you, uh, where you can come out and honestly say, for example, as a writer, you can honestly say, I have never been told ever what to write. And... Um, of the, but then again, you have some stuff that's rejected occasionally, and then you can kind of figure out what not to write. But right. you can always say that, and you can say it with honesty, because most of the time you're just self-censoring. You just say, "I'm like, what's the point of my wasting my time turning this in when it's going to get kicked back? I'm going to write something else." Right. Which is, which, by the way, um, when the whole download fiasco happened with Apple's iOS six, um. You even said that to me. Because I said, look, here's the evidence. Here's what's going on. Here's how the logs work. Here's what's, here's what they've changed their TCP stack. They got all kinds of shit going wrong on the inside with their iPhone and it's costing us money. It's costing all kinds of people headaches and money and problems. And I think you literally said, you know, what's the point of trying to write a column? They're just going to knock it away and the, and, and Apple won't answer and it'll never happen. It's just, it's not going to happen. Right. And it, well, this is another secondary effect, which I should mention to people that you want the inside scoop. Which is you will uh, occasionally have something like that piece, which I wasn't going to write, like you said, I just wasn't going to write. And the reason is, is because it would, this, this kind of thing, and you want to put it in a high profile spot, but it goes like this. This is an interesting thing you've done. Have you, did you get response from Apple? Yeah. And you call Apple, you're going to get a response. So you put, you could say, yeah, they won't call me back. Well, I'll give it a try somebody else. You got, sure you can get somebody to say something. They won't say anything. In fact, you had contact over there. They wouldn't even talk to you and you weren't writing anything. <laughs> yeah. And so then you Well, I was calling some, them assholes. Uh, that might and have. And then you got to document it better. Cause well, it's, you know, you, can you prove this? You know, well, you, uh, yeah, you got some, some laws. Was well, this just happening in one spot? You start getting grilled about the details because it's more than just a simple opinion. You're accusing. You do you're, when you do accusatory writing. You have to have some time to do it, and then they don't pay anybody anymore. And none of the newspapers do, and none of the magazines for sure. They don't pay anybody enough to spend days and days and days researching something. It is a loser of an idea, and then it doesn't have any effect because Apple fixes the thing eventually anyway. You know, so what did you accomplish? Did you make them go faster? Did you make, did you embarrass the company? Was that the idea, just to try to humiliate them? I mean, it's it's a waste of time, and that's the way that all the media works. The only reason that this show is so good is because we have no constraints. I mean, we can bicker about hipsterism for 10 minutes, and that's too bad. And, 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 and the good news is you can fast forward, and you can rewind the tape. 
Well, that was interesting. I did, you know, this is actually, to be honest about the first time I've heard this clip show, I, I edited part of it to get it on here, but I didn't listen to the whole thing. It's really pretty good. And we should also mention that uh, Ramsey Kane, who was one of our producers who, uh, who put this together, uh, he maintains noagendacd.com. So, right. which also has a YouTube channel, and it's just um, you know you can you can download entire CDs with the with the artwork to put on the CDs, but also just individual clips. And we really appreciate what he's done because he not only you know gave us uh, a, a two sh- you know well a show off, which was nice, but also I think really gave us an outstanding product that is 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 worth passing around. Yeah, and he, he dug back into the archives, too, to get some of this stuff. I also want to remind people that are producers of the show that you will have your producer credit on the show itself, and you will be thanking everybody on the 1st of August when we do a, a show live, uh, anyone who contributes to the show. And we want to remind people that we still need the donations and contributions and producerships and all the rest of it. And so uh, if you go to No Agenda nation.com noagendashow.com and click on the Donate button, but also, of course, Dvorak.org slash N-A, uh, to help us out for the next show, which will be coming up uh, in, on Sunday, which is a uh, the interview show that we do, right? Which, we is, will- which is original content, uh, which has not been. Yeah. Although uh, my interview was uh, at one point published on the Big Book Show, but I don't think a lot of people saw that. It's the audio version, um, uh, so we'll get to that. We'll talk about that on Sunday. Uh, but right now, let's just get back to the uh, uh, to Ramsey's clip show and get to part two. So big news, big news breaking. I just oh. memo this morning. Oh, hold on a second. Let's, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we got hot news, big news breaking. Yes, John C. Dvorak, what are you learning? Times are tough for Debbie, prostitute in uh, Western England. Oh, no. Has a private uh, flat with other mature ladies. <laughs> she does two or three uh, jobs a day. A year ago, she was doing eight or nine. What? The uh, hookers in England uh, have to lower their prices or not their businesses down. What? Yeah, okay. this is in the Economist. <laughs> well, I mean, we, hookers we, on sale. We, is that the title of the article? Oh, but it might be a title for the show. Is the, yeah, write it down. I mean, we have long it says since sex. The title is "Sex Doesn't Sell." Well, now this is very interesting because you have long, for many years, as long as I've known, you always use the Dvorak Hooker Indicator, uh, which uh, says, and st- it's kind of like a more. It's actually it's Dvorak's law. As we know, we have Moore's Law, we have Dvorak's Law, is the worse the economy, not only do the hookers get better looking, but they get cheaper, but not that they have less gigs. Well, it would seem to me that they lowered the price enough they would have the same number of gigs, which is the supply and demand <laughs> okay. in the classic okay. sense. And I think that's where it came from, by the way. Right. Okay, so you're, what you're saying because is they're the, overpriced. The modern economists don't even buy supply and demand anymore, so I think that this is a, you know, this is where it came from with right. hookers. Right, okay. Because they are the true free market. Yeah, well, to a point. Yeah. Well, they're not them. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, this is a uh, interesting. This is, this is an, an indicator. You know, supposedly everything is... Here, it's been in the past. Uh, this reflects the sluggish economy. Overall consumer spending at the end of 2012 was almost 4% lower than its 27 peak. And Vivian, an independent escort in the South, who got to write this thing? <laughs> who you mean? Independent who, who, escort in the South who probably <laughs> had to put out to get her name in here. Oh. Okay. Uh, to supplement her income as a photographer, says paying for <laughs> sex is a luxury. Food is more important. The mortgage is more important. Petrol is more important, especially at these prices. Well, so so uh, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. She's hold offering on. discounts out of desperation. Well, so it's down th- to thirty bucks. This make wow. 
This makes a lot of sense because in times of war, I think that's when indeed you know the the, the prostitution industry really kind of falls apart because the soldiers don't pay for it; they just take it. You know, the occupying forces, right? Um, so th- I think that this is a, a a new line has been crossed in the UK. That's very sad. Well, yeah, Thirty yeah, bucks depends on your perspective. That's like two pounds. <laughs> Do you remember Kevin the Blade? Kevin the Blade? Yeah, Kevin the Blade. He was the the Canadian kid uh, who listened to No Agenda, and uh, I was looking for someone to help me edit the uh, the Big App Show when I was still doing that. Remember him? Oh, that's some time back. Yeah, Kevin yeah the Blade. back in the LA days. So Kevin the Blade, and he you know he basically like gave up and went back to Canada. Uh, with his girlfriend, and he's been tootling around, but he has come up with a... And I've always... You know, he was an intern, essentially. I paid him whatever I could, but he really worked for basically for no money. And uh, so I wanted to thank him by giving him a plug for his new project, which I think is going to be a massive hit, and he's doing a... I don't know if it's a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo or something. Anyway, it's called Come Giggle With Me. ComeGiggleWithMe.com. And it's a... Uh, reality cooking show with people who are uh, stoned on marijuana. That's funny. You know, I've always wanted to do a talk show, really similar to this. It was, it, but it was different. My idea is this, and I still think it's valid. The name of the talk show is Legally Drunk. Okay, yeah, that sounds that sounds about. <laughs> that and you have good. to, and you have to have a breathalyzer, right, to make sure and you're you legally take the breathalyzer, drunk. Right. And then the announcer comes over, and a big thing slams on the screen. Legally drunk. Okay, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then what? Then, you, then you get on the talk show. Then you go on. You're on the talk show. I'd be the host. I would be sober. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. And you just get people yakking drunk because they'll say all kinds of crazy things. It'd be but, a great show. Somebody. I like it. I like show. it. Well, so in this case, five stoners uh, are pitted against each other to see who can cook the best munchies and throw the best party. Oh, well, this is similar. Yeah. Not- Right. Legally drunk is good. Uh, how about uh, legally baked? I think it's funny when people are stoned because when people are drunk, they can also get aggressive. And well, that's fine too. That's good television. It's great television. I would produce this with you. Yeah. And here's your host of legally uh, legally baked. Who would be your first guest? I I, I think first you got to find people that are that like to drink. I think that's the. Key. <laughs> but I I can do legally. I'll do it. I get baked for your show to be a guest. Well, baked to me implies marijuana or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to do legally drunk. I don't like drunk. Ah, uh, no, no, I'm not going to do a baked show. No. This is too. Uh, it's too. It's too slow moving. It wouldn't no. have. It'd be nobody'd ever be aggressive, and they wouldn't start yelling or start falling off the chair drunk. Come on, it's the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. What am I thinking? Well, you might, on top of that, you might as well play. I feel terrible. I feel terrible. I just cannot sit here and concentrate on my lines because I'm so nauseous. <laughs> Who's that? Somebody on the world's next model or whatever the hell. God, you watch that? I watched oh that clip. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're horrible. Turn off your television. There was a Cassius Clay and a, oh uh, no the armed militia. This was interesting to me because it brought it, the Cassius Clay thing is my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there was a, Paul was talking about how you know we're <laughs> Americans by uh, right are supposed to be armed to the teeth, right? For whatever reason, and I'm remind it reminded me of an anecdote that was uh, interesting when because when people bring up gun control and things like that, and I'm not a gun control advocate or a non-advocate. I have to say I do like shooting guns, and I like. I have a lot of friends that have collections and will go out to a range and shoot. Yeah, I mean, it turns you on, doesn't it, John? No, it doesn't, actually. Oh. It doesn't turn me on, but it's a lot of fun. Okay. Anyway, so uh, I'm not like an arsonist. Anyway, <laughs> so I visited the uh, the mansion or the former mansion of the uh, Antebellum or the Civil War. Um, I guess he was a, uh, a state officer, Cassius Clay who was uh, Henry Clay's, I think, his brother. Okay. And Cassius Clay had this place out in, outside of, uh, I think it's outside of Lexington, Kentucky. People are going to start writing, you don't know anything, <laughs> but I think it's outside of Lexington. So I went in there, and Cassius Clay is this very famous senator, and he um, uh, one time had <laughs> a cannon, apparently, and he was an abolitionist, which was not popular in the area. And so they tried to, like, fuck with him uh and the locals and so and the, including the sheriff and the and the local uh, police and he had a cannon in front of his house that he'd fill with uh shrapnel and when they came to you know either get him or arrest him or harass him or whatever they were going to do he'd shoot it at him <laughs> <laughs> which was his uh second amendment right to being exercised exactly and you know eventually they stopped coming over and uh, he needed to do that, otherwise, you know, bad things would, were going to happen to him, no thanks to the local authorities. And uh, I've always thought that was like, you know, people mo moan and groan about it, assault weapons, all the rest. This guy has like a cannon that he's shooting. Uh, and so <laughs> so I'm always thinking back on that, like, uh, what would have happened if he didn't have the cannon? So I think there's uh, lots of modern-day anal analogies to that story. Uh, none that I can think of, but yeah, there probably are. Uh, now, by the way, the, the funny story about the about the Cassius Clay uh, house, you know, and Cassius Clay, of course, is who Muhammad Ali. Yeah, named himself was. after, he, right? Yeah. Named, no, no, he named himself Muhammad Ali. He was born Cassius. He was born Clay. Cassius Clay. Oh, okay. Because most of the a uh, uh, lot of well, you know, as a lot of uh, famous blacks were named after famous whites. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, a lot of black slaves were named after famous uh, whites and it became a tradition in the black community to name people after famous people. Okay. And so Cassius Clay was named after this guy. Now, the kicker, and anybody who happens to be in the area of Lexington should go check out this. This is actually a very interesting place because, for one thing, there's a... Uh, a bunch of uh, little like busts that showed, for example, his sister's uh, clothes, and that these some of these people during that era in the 1850s were, if they were four seven, it was a miracle. Especially the women; they mm -hmm. weren't getting a lot of vitamin B. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and his 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 wife was obviously a she was a uh, not his wife. I'm sorry, I think it was a sister. This has been years ago when I was over there. His sister was, and I should obviously read something before I do these interviews or these this show with you. Um, oh, wh sister, why ruin but, the spontaneity, huh? Yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the ETA on this point you're about to make. 
<laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> so anyway, the uh, it's a long road. Anyway, so his sis his sister was a woman, you know, activist. <laughs> when you start to see the pictures of her and all her friends, you could tell she was kind of um she was a lesbian. Uh-huh. It was kind of amusing. But anyway, the story I'm trying to get to, but she was like five, four foot two or something. They had a like a thing of, you know, like where the clothes she wore. She couldn't have been bigger than a, a 12-year-old. Now, I bet she had a huge-ass cannon. She might have. Anyway, so I'm looking around this house, and there's an, there is a, um, a newspaper article about a famous African who came to visit Kentucky, and he visited the house, and he met with Cassius Clay. And his name was Muhammad Ali. Wow. Yeah, that's what I thought. And so I was like, wow, that's cool. And I'm now I'm thinking that like Cassius Clay himself, the boxer, may, you know, because he'd, he'd he heard the story a, and he named himself Muhammad Ali. He may have actually visited this museum mm-hmm. and saw that name. So that's a cool name. Because there's a weird connection there that I, that's never been explained to me. That's the story. Oh, John, I, I am so happy you told me that story. Well, we might as well get into it right now. 33, of course, was rampant, rampant all over this meteorite uh, strike over Russia. 33,000 miles per hour. $33 million is what it's going to cost. I mean, everything was 33. Yeah, I know. And, uh. But why? What is it? What is it? What did, did the. Oh, we, oh well, because. Well, we, this has been going on with it. People that just started listening to our show should know that we discovered this 33, uh, kind of meme that, that we have no idea what, what it's purpose is but it always tends to indicate some sort of a sham or yes. a scam or something yes. like, or a signal a signal yes a wink wink yes wink, wink kind of thing we of some sort but we don't know who's implementing it how it got implemented but it shows up far too often in fact there used to be a segment on this show which you stopped doing because it was just ridiculous where Adam goes oh, here we go yeah here it is it's the magic number. There you go. And it, and it would be endless. And it would always be sketchy stories. Okay, so uh, do you want to... So I, I have, a, I think, a pretty solid theory on uh, why 33 showed up around this Russian meteorite. All right. I'm because just, the, oh, this I'm is just, clearly a 33-type story, obviously. First of all, as a... Um, as a renowned Nobel Prize-winning astronomer, I would love to hear your uh, your general take on what you saw on these uh, just fascinating video. I mean, so professionally shot and so, you know, just great. What, <laughs> well, I saw like a crashing plane in one uh, video and mm-hmm. then uh, just a streak. And then all the good videos, of course, were, were computer generated. Yes, yes, obviously. And then there was a few people floating around with cuts on their faces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, a thousand I, people. I don't know. A thousand I mean, people. then they showed a big hole <laughs> yeah. in the lake. Yeah. Apparently so, this hit the lake. Now, this is what's kind of weird. So this thing hits the lake at 33,000 miles an hour, mm-hmm. Lake 33, I guess, and it, and <laughs> yeah. it put this round, perfectly round hole in the lake. But if it was coming in with that kind of impact, it, I think it would have drained the lake. It oh, would have yeah. thrown the lake completely into the air, and it would have just been a huge mess. And it would have there wouldn't be a nice hole with ice around it. There would there would have been blown the yeah. the ice sheet would have been blown to smithereens. If this thing had hit that water at that speed, 
it would have evaporated half the lake and blew the rest of the lake into the into the woods. I mean, this is bullcrap. Yeah, and did you notice how um, you know when when there's a cruise ship with four thousand people pooping in bags, CNN sends everyone there and they're on the scene and they're they're on the air for hours covering it live as this thing goes. Seven poop yeah. poop gate poop, <laughs> poop gate. Uh, this freaking meteorite explodes with the... Oh, and by the way, 33 times the Hiroshima bomb. I've heard that one a couple times. 33 times, please. Um, and it's like they send one guy who happens to be in Moscow. They send him up there. And then there's a bunch of guys like, eh, what, da, 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 go back. You know, you'll know, film here. You know, it's like a bunch of Ruskies. And everyone's just accepting this. Like, this is normal. Whereas this has... The last time this happened... Do you know the last event of this magnitude of an exploding meteorite? I'm surprised. Is that the one that knocked down the forest? The, yeah, that the was an asteroid, I think. Well, no, I've learned that an asteroid becomes a meteorite when it enters the atmosphere. Uh, but that was the Tunguska. Uh, yeah, that's event. the big one that knocked down like something like a thousand square miles of trees. Yes, and that was in uh, 1908 in uh, Siberia. And it knocked down, uh, let me see how many, because you still see the pictures of the trees. Um, and that was, a, I think that was a larger event than, than this was. But, but I just have a couple questions before I get into my theory here. Um, so when, when, so now the, the sound of speed is uh, 700 and what, 62 miles per hour? It was like a 1200 kilometers. You talk about uh, the, the, the speed of sound. sound barriers. The, the speed of sound, yeah. So the sonic boom, you know, a sonic boom takes place over the 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 sound barrier. So of course 33,000 miles an hour, you know, does not mean that you get a bigger boom. I mean, I this I, I don't understand how come when uh you know, when a jet breaks a sound barrier, you know, we don't have walls crumbling and it's I mean, is it the speed, is it the size of the object? Um it's you know, the distance I think from the where you're hearing I, they, we don't hear it's illegal to make a sonic boom in the United States. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Well, then I should be arrested. I, <laughs> I should be arrested. What? <laughs> I should be arrested. I, I made a sonic boom just this morning. And you talking to me about the <laughs> masturbate joke? <laughs> and now the kicker. And uh, I was a little dismayed because I, uh, I I actually watched this thing Thursday evening. I was like, oh, my God, no one has seen this. No one's looking at this. And then I was like, you know, and like last night I saw one or two postings on the news network about it and this morning you you sent me the same clip i was like i'm sure to nail clip of the day and here it is the best question ever asked of janet napolitano with a stunning answer take it for granted i mean we you know we i'm sure i mean i don't know do you practice two-layer authentication with your email and do you have you know multiple passwords for your accounts i mean it ultimately comes down to some level of personal responsibility and we don't always integrate it into our lives and we just sort of treat it as an afterthought until well, something that, that's bad happens. Wh- yeah that's why uh, you know uh, decades ago nobody put a seatbelt on when they got in the right, car right. Uh, in fact cars didn't even come with seatbelts uh, we need that same kind of cultural awareness and change more quickly uh, in, where cyber safety is concerned. Do you integrate it into your own life? I mean, do you have Amazon and iTunes accounts separated in the different passwords for everything? I mean, how, what is what is your personal cybersecurity look like? Well, um, okay, don't laugh, but I, I just don't use email at all. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because it's too time-consuming or for security purposes? Um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, 
Uh, so I don't have any of my own accounts, and then that, you know, I'm very secure. Yeah. <laughs> You're off the grid. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought about this, and uh, so obviously the reason why she uh, uh, claims to not have any email is she doesn't want to be culpable in any of the incredible shenanigans that go on at the Department of Homeland Security, because that, of course, is always no. how they nail you with the discovery no, documents. No. You don't think so? You have a no. I, I don't think so. Based on one of her answers, <clears throat> when she when he asked her specifically why she didn't use the email and she wouldn't and then he had two two uh, two uh, conjectural uh, responses that she refused to to address and said yeah. I do it for a whole host of reasons. Yeah, I honestly believe that she doesn't know how to use a computer at all. <laughs> no, you're kidding me. No, I'm absolutely convinced of it by the way she's responded to that. Well, I don't believe she knows how to use a computer. Or she doesn't even know what Amazon is. This is this is a this is a, a person that's been a government official all her life. She was a governor, you know, a government official. She was a governor. She yeah. was. Uh, she's been working for Homeland Security, which is is essentially a book. Of, you know, she's got secretaries and helpers and all right. these people. That yeah. she, take a memo. Yeah, she is the old fashioned style of executive that literally, I believe cannot use a computer at all. She doesn't know how to turn one on. She wouldn't know Windows from Macintosh. This is a, a, a complete embarrassment to the entire public, the, uh, the population of the United States that we have somebody running a department like Homeland Security and discussing cybersecurity and just obviously mouthing platitudes about, you know, uh, denial of service attacks. She doesn't even know what that is. I'm totally convinced of it. There's no evidence to the contrary. And if you listen, and, and I'm, I'm actually going to say that uh, I, I think I'm going to agree with you. If you listen to this little follow-up that she adds to this uh, to this admission, um, I think it plays right into your uh, your thesis here. <laughs> some, have... some would call me a luddite, but uh, you know. There you go. She's even saying it. <clears throat> I'm a luddite. Yeah. It, what yeah. is a luddite? A luddite, you know, a person that, that doesn't, you know, yeah. in today's world parlance, a luddite is somebody who doesn't like or use computers. Yeah. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Um, see, actually. So uh, did you get this? It says we're top. We're on this topic. Did you get that song I, I emailed you? Yes, I did. Uh, you want to play it? I, yeah, it's sure. interesting. Before you play it, I'm gonna. This I ran into this song. I was recording a. Uh, this is from a movie done in 1942, and a lot of people out there don't realize that. Uh, but if you don't realize that both the U.S., England, and most of uh, the countries in World War II, in 1942, a lot of historians will say that we actually technically have already lost the war. The war was over, and the Germans were going to win everything. Okay. And and uh, so 1942, there was a turnaround, mainly because of the productivity of the American uh, factories, uh, where we were cranking out. I mean, uh, William Manchester discusses this in, in one of his books, and he has all the stats, which I should blog one of these days, because they're actually quite phenomenal. Where they're like doing a ship a week kind of thing. Oh, and, and like, you know, 700 aircraft a month. I mean, it was really high turnover. Or more. Yeah. But anyway, there was a lot of, they were cranking out a lot of stuff, and then the war turned around, and uh, we ended up winning, but in 42, it wasn't clear that we were going to, and so then, so there was a, a bunch of interesting sociologies that took place during this period, and one of them that, that fascinated me was this song, which is in a movie, um, lowly, you know, one of these war movies called, and the movie was called Iceland. 
And uh, uh, I don't have the singer's name, but the, I think the band was Sammy Kay. And, uh, and I found it interesting because this song is essentially, if you read between the lines, kind of uh, making a... Uh, right, don't even tell him. Don't even tell him. Yeah, okay, well, we'll listen to it and then we'll discuss it. by the highest of authority fellows in the service simply can't be turned away you know that defense must get priority so if you're patriotically inclined heed the call to arms and keep this thought in mind you can't say no to a soldier a sailor or a sisterly way oh you can't say no no you gotta give in if you want him to win for you you can't say no to a soldier a sailor or a handsome marine no you can't say no if he wants to dance if he's gonna fight he's got a right to romance so get out your lipstick and powder be beautiful and dutiful too That's not what I mean. Oh, you can't say no. No, 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 no. Well, they're not fatal tin. So you better give in if you want him to win for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically saying, uh, do your local serviceman so he can win the war. Yeah, they're basically uh, saying that you know, let's be whoring out the country because if you don't get if you don't get you know because you if you don't get get keep these guys happy, you know, you're going to be stuck with uh, you know what you get in a war situation. Somebody else takes over. I re- Lots I re- of rape. I really liked it where it was uh, you know you can always kiss him in a sisterly way. I thought that was pretty funny. And yeah, and there's also there's a couple of twists in there. You know, be beautiful and dutiful. And <laughs> I got to try that my, tonight, honey. You've got to yeah. be beautiful and dutiful tonight. <laughs> and my actually the my the, the real interesting uh, little twisted phrase in there was, you know, if he says it's cold in the submarine, you can knit him a sweater, but that's not what he means. Oh, I know, uh, I know, I know. And then you got um, was it Popeye or, or Brutus popping in there? Yeah, that guy. I can't remember his name. He's in a lot of movies from that era. Um, he uh, he's a kind of like an Ernest Borgnine type guy, but I, that's yeah, not he's, him. he's actually a, he was a character actor uh, showed up here and there in these in the B movies mainly. Yeah, uh, so that must be so. That's part of a film you said. Yes, it's it's a it's a scene in the movie Iceland. Oh my gosh! And uh, they cut to this song, and um, I just thought it was interesting because it matched the year, which is 1942, which is the year that you we're were losing. Born. The year you were born, of course. Yeah, no, and uh, I'm not that old. And uh, uh, it was the year we were losing. And it, I don't think that there actually weren't a lot of people born that year because most people were was fighting. That, was that before uh, Pearl Harbor or post? 
No, that's after Pearl Harbor. Right. Okay. So yeah, that was and, down, uh, downer mood for sure. And uh, and the Hitler was like you know beating everybody up, yeah. and. Um, so it was a bad time, and and I think a lot. But the interesting part of this song, which is like telling these women to get out, you know, to get to work, uh, having sex. I think it's <laughs> kind of lost on. Essentially, it, it seems. I think this this that this whole era is is completely just completely lost to to anybody today's generations or the anybody. As a matter of fact, I think it's kind of. Uh, um, you mean the general the general vibe and how people felt and and what the what the well, nation was thinking. Well, you know, you wonder because we have like the, you know these war efforts that you know like the Vietnam War and all these insincere wars that we've been seemingly in, and you never had this kind of thing where this was this was actually a desperate situation where we. we People had to do things, and I think the song reflects that in some way uh, that uh, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. Well, I got a couple of uh, kind of, uh, again, a little uh, cultural stuff here I wanted to maybe get to. Sure, hit me. I ran into uh, two uh, new versions of the commercials for Celebrix and Cymbalta, which are the competitive drugs for arthritic people. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to decide. Which one is better? Well, there's two of them now, and this is interesting because you have a, 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 series, a theory. Now, if we can find, we got to find the sales figures for these two, because if your basic premise, which I'm subscribed to, uh, is correct, the one with the worst sounding you know, side effects, it's going to kill you, would sell better. Okay. Now, there, so here's the two. Now, Celebrex has gone to the. We'll, we'll actually use the word death. <laughs> oh, they're, 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 they they've got good advice. To, they've got, a, they've got yeah. the next layer. So we have to watch the sales figures in the future because this is new as far as I remember. They never talk about death. They always talk about we'll, – we'll play the Cymbalta ad first. And it's not – that they hint at death, but they never say death. Uh, and it's a little softer sell, I think. I think it's not going to do as well. Imagine facing the day with less chronic osteoarthritis pain. Imagine living your life with less chronic low back pain. Imagine you with less pain. Cymbalta can help. Cymbalta is FDA approved to manage chronic musculoskeletal pain. One non-narcotic pill a day every day can help reduce this pain. Tell your doctor right away if your mood worsens, you have unusual changes in mood or behavior, or thoughts of suicide. Antidepressants can increase these in children, teens, and young adults. Cymbalta is not approved for children under 18. People taking MAOIs or thyroidazine or with uncontrolled glaucoma should not take Cymbalta. Taking it with NSAID pain relievers, aspirin, or blood thinners may increase bleeding risk. Severe liver problems, some fatal, were reported. Signs include abdominal pain and yellowing skin or eyes. Tell your doctor about all your medicines, including those for migraine. And while on Cymbalta, call right away if you have high high fever, confusion, and stiff muscles, or serious allergic skin reactions like blisters, peeling rash, hives, or mouth sores to address possible life-threatening conditions. Talk about your alcohol use, liver disease, and before you reduce or stop Cymbalta. Dizziness or fainting may occur upon standing. Ask your doctor about Cymbalta. Imagine you with less pain. Cymbalta can help. Go to Cymbalta.com to learn about a free trial offer. Well, they're not lying. You have less pain when you're dead. You're dead, yeah. <laughs> now, there's a couple things both these commercials did I thought was interesting. And I don't know what the genesis of this is, but I've never noticed it before in these, in, in these You'll feel no pain when you're dead. <laughs> Cymbalta. Because you won't feel pain when you're dead. So, so he says one non-narcotic pill. <laughs> and the other guys, the guys that did the... Uh, um, just, uh, 
the Celebrex. They don't say it, but they have a big flashing thing, non-narcotic, non-narcotic. So I guess there must be a third alternative that's narcotic, or maybe they're trying to tell people you have to take morphine and this is better. I don't know. It's simple physics. A body at rest tends to stay at rest, while a body in motion tends to stay in motion. Staying active can actually ease arthritis symptoms, but if you have arthritis, staying active can be difficult. Prescription Celebrex can help relieve arthritis pain so your body can stay in motion, because just one 200-milligram Celebrex a day can provide 24-hour relief for many with arthritis pain and inflammation. Plus, in clinical studies, Celebrex is proven to improve daily physical function so moving is easier. Celebrex can be taken with or without food, and it's not a narcotic. You and your doctor should balance the benefits with the risks. All prescription insets like Celebrex, Ibuprofen, Naproxen, and Meloxicam have the same cardiovascular warning. They all may increase the chance of heart attack or stroke, which can lead to death. This chance increases if you have heart disease or risk factors such as high blood pressure or when NSAIDs are taken for long periods. NSAIDs, including Celebrex, increase the chance of serious skin or allergic reactions or stomach and intestine problems such as bleeding and ulcers, which can occur without warning and may cause death. Patients also taking aspirin and the elderly are at increased risk for stomach bleeding and ulcers. Do not take Celebrex if you've had an asthma attack, hives, or other allergies to aspirin, NSAIDs, or sulfonamides. Get help right away if you have swelling of the face or throat or trouble breathing. Tell your doctor your medical history and find an arthritis treatment for you. Visit Celebrex.com and ask your doctor about Celebrex for a body in motion. Okay, now before you say anything, I've done the research here. Now, first of all, let me say that even though they played the death card in the Celebrex, I think the Cymbalta sounded worse. Because this guy, (laughs) he said like, you know, it could be death. I I really feel that Cymbalta sounded worse than... Uh, Celebrex. You don't need it. You disagree? Well, I thought they were pretty well balanced. They had a lot of symptoms that you could get and a lot of, uh, the, the, there was a few extra ones like the swelling of the head. I thought that was unusual. Uh, <laughs> but good cause. My death. head's really big. It's swollen, man. <laughs> just, the other one had, if you're confused, call your doctor. If you're confused, you won't know what to do. No, but there was, a, there was a, there was a lot I more. I know. Anyway, I, the results are here. Celebrex annual revenue two point five billion dollars. Cymbalta annual revenue three billion dollars. So maybe now this is a, a reasonably new ad. So maybe Celebrex was like, man, those guys they're doing they're kicking our ass. We got to step it up. What can we do? Just say death. Okay. So we'll check in a year and we'll see because I think that you know the theory still oh. holds true. The results should show up in the next two quarters. We should right. be able to do it in six months. Yeah, you can place you can place a bet on it. Get an option call in there. And of course, it reminds me that we are so stupid. We are so. I mean, yeah, I know people are going like facepalm. Really, you're stupid. Like we didn't know that. Here's our jingle. If you wake up with the blues, trying to fill your day with news, there's one thing you must remember: no agenda in the morning. For a healthy, balanced news diet, try NoAgendaShow.com. Way too uplifting. Oh, yeah, no good. This is completely wrong. We have to make calls anal leakage. You may wind up uh, divorced. Uh, your family will hate you. You could uh, lose your job. Death. Uh, death. <laughs> let's, let's just try it again. Maybe, maybe we're not doing it right. Yeah, well, someone will come up with a good one for us. Yeah, well, we got to get Sir Jeff Smith. Uh, we, I mean, we have to have death in that.
You may die after consumption of no agenda. Enjoy. So the but the 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 the, the capability we have, which we're not harnessing, by the way, we are such losers as human beings. We're, we'll, we'll come around. I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that we're like we're all waiting for some company to do it or some some you know some bullcrap venture and all of this venture stuff. I mean, so we have uh, this new thing in Austin. It's called uh, Sidecar. Are you familiar with Sidecar? Have you ever heard of this? It's not just in Austin. It's in other places. Do you know Sidecar? Uh, it rings a bell, okay. but you better, I don't know. Okay, so Sidecar is essentially, it's a system, it's an app, and you as a private citizen can decide that you are going to be uh, driving people around, like a cab around town. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we have that here. There's a number of, uh, there's three or four of these things around right. the country. Different and, brands of these things. So Sidecar is interesting because it really is citizens themselves who then decide, decide to become a driver. And then you can look and see, you know, and you see where the, where the car is nearby and you can tap on it. See, well, that guy looks like a creep. I don't want him picking me up. So, no, you know, you get you, you select someone yeah, else. A, this, by the way, is a 40-year cycle again. This is a the modern version of what we used to have in the 70s, which was hitchhiking. Right. It's <laughs> hitchhiking. And... Um, well, the hitchhiking was actually better. This is the problem because here we're all, you know, and, and, and you know, now there's a company and the company is, you know, involved. Right, we in, have middlemen. It's oh, like, it's like, why, why can't we just figure that the problem is we have bought into this cheap mirrors and trinkets idea of, oh, there's a cool service. There's Twitter and all this stuff when we need to be using the protocols that we control. So that we can self-radicalize, I'll use that term, organize ourselves, because it's a beautiful system, it's a beautiful idea, but there always has to be someone in the middle making money, and that screws everything up every single time. And for some reason, we've been programmed into not seeing that that is not the way to go. We're like... Um, you know, like the, the the idiot who just keeps walking into the door, the, like, oh, it's closed, it's closed, it's closed, it's closed. How many times are we going to hit our head against this wall until we understand what we really have to do? That sounds like drone talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, something that uh, came up on the news that I just needed to go back to our show on Thursday. It only took him a couple days to come up with the big lie. So uh, the new president of France, who are, oh, by the way, uh, when it comes to the best podcast in the universe, the French are incredibly cheap bastards, you know, and they don't, they don't even listen. But so, no, they don't even listen. So the president of France went to Mali, went to Timbuktu for a victory lap. Did you see this? No. Oh, yeah. Three weeks after launching an assault against al-Qaeda-aligned militants in the north of Mali, the president of France was here on what amounted to a victory tour. He never declared mission accomplished, but he was certainly cheered and even hugged as he walked through the streets of the ancient city of Timbuktu. Until a few days ago, he wouldn't have been able to. It was controlled by militant jihadists who have now fled after French paratroopers landed on the edges of this iconic community. But President Hollande thanked his troops, the French, and the Malians as well, as well as ordinary people. But he added that in the future, the job of protecting iconic communities like this one won't be that uh, of France, but of Malian and West African troops. They are now moving into the city in order to secure this ancient community. Okay, so a couple of things with this report. First of all, so this white dude comes down from the heavens, and I don't know, 
you know, if you see the video, there's just like a whole bunch of Malians jumping up and down, and they're jumping on his neck, and like, oh, I mean, I don't know what they told him, who this guy was. They probably said, yeah, this is Brad Pitt's brother or something. They, <laughs> they don't have no idea. No, this sounds like it was a victory lap. He went in. He saved the Malians. They're so happy. Oh, oh, President Hollande, Hollande, we love you so. Je t'aime, je t'aime, je t'aime. Please listen to the report of what went down when they took Timbuktu back from the militants. This is only from Thursday. The airport was quickly secured. French soldiers and a few Malian units moved into town without firing a single shot. Not a single shot was fired. This is the, the, the where they, 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 there were no militants. There was no Al Qaeda. There was nothing there. They just walked right. They dropped out of the sky and there was no, it was like, remember when we landed in Mogadishu? Uh, Mogadishu? Yeah, at night, and CNN was on the shore filming him, and the Marines were like, "Oh, what?" It's, it's the same thing. There was no Al Qaeda. There were no terrorists. So, what are these people so happy for? It's this is all staged, obviously. Totally bullcrap. And then, what is they this? Say, I know what they were jumping up and down for. They gave each each one of them two francs. <laughs> yeah. And here's here's some mush. Here's some. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are you hungry? You want a burger? He's going to be giving everyone money. The more you jump, the more money you'll make. <laughs> jump. Yeah, one of those guys, one of those setup guys on those shows <laughs> yeah. they have on television with, his script, with the audience. With a script, and he's clapping his script in his hands. Yeah, setup yeah. guy. Come on, I'll give him a round of applause. <laughs> when the sign goes on, applause like crazy. We'll give you a dollar if you do that. <laughs> exactly. And, and I was just like, and what is this iconic community? This, this, what is all this bull crap? What is that supposed to be? to turn into a tourist trap. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, you're right. You're so right. Come visit the iconic community of Timbuktu. You've heard about the song. You've heard the band. Now, now come to see the iconic, legendary, historic community of Timbuktu. Yeah, they'll put a nice airport runway in there. People go to Timbuktu and stay at the Four Seasons. You know, maybe they can stay in a teepee. No, well, maybe. One of the two. If you wake up with the blues, trying to fill your day with news, there's one thing you must remember, no agenda in the morning. For a healthy, balanced news diet, try noagendashow.com. Now, uh, I, I just have a couple of things on the war on ammo. Uh, so uh, Aaron Burnett, as we say here in Texas, because everything is Burnett Road, she... She did the most horrible thing. Now, we know that as a part of this whole gun conversation, which, by the way, I just I want to point out that we have military doing uh, exercises over our cities. We're going to have uh, the uh, uh, the Sandy Hook children will be singing at the Super Bowl. Apparently, you know, like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, we can't have guns. You know, guns are bad. But, of course, the Super Bowl will start with jets flying overhead and military marching bands. It's like... Guns are great in America as long as you don't have them, all right? So just the insanity of this. And, of course, we are looking at insanity literally from a perspective of are people drugged? And now everyone's coming out and saying, well, you know, there's a high correlation between these mass shootings and these guys have been on drugs, except they never actually report that. They only say it after the fact a little bit. It's never like he was on drugs. Never, ever is that in the report. Um but the high correlation between video games, not the media. It's not television and movies because, no, we, we give them a tax break. Um, we, uh, we love them because they help get our politicians elected and stay in office. So we will stay away from the media, but we will tackle video games. So Aaron Burnett has 
a constitutional law professor on from Harvard. And uh, she is going to state the fact that video games uh, make turn men into violent uh, mass shooters. Fact. And he's going to debunk it, and she's going to just steamroll over him, uh, particularly when he goes off script. You'll like it. Or he's declined. There's the saying that guns don't kill people. Video games do. Oh, 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 do, do you know this saying, John? <laughs> I've never heard this saying, this old saying. <laughs> this old saying that comes from the Wild West. Guns don't kill people. Video games kill people. Oh, but wait, there's more. Senator Grassley implies they make kids more violent. Does it add up? William Pollock is a psychologist and author of Real Boys, Rescuing Our Sons from the Myths of Boyhood. And sir, I, I really appreciate your taking the time. Um, let me just ask you the point-blank question. It is a lot of people out there now. They, they, this is accepted as a fact that all these violent games, and by the way, they are horrifically violent. It's, it just, it's accepted as a fact it's accepted as a fact do you hear what she's saying yeah she says it's accepted as a fact when in fact it's not accepted as a fact just the opposite is why we are seeing uh, this feeling this seemingly expo explosion in mass shootings true uh, no, not true. Uh, I mean, I agree with the senator. We should put some controls on those violent video games, but they don't cause the shootings anything more than one item does. So this is where already Aaron's like, who, who invited this guy? It's a fact. It's a fact. And that man did say that he trained on a video game. Oh, I have no doubt about it. I agree with Senator Grassley. We need controls over violence in our media and in our... Ooh, oh, no. Oh, no. He didn't. He didn't say violence in our media, did he? Oh, Aaron, Aaron, get to work, girl. Video games, especially for younger children. Uh, but that alone isn't the answer. Isn't causing, isn't we need those controls. Yeah. But what about, uh, let, let me it, just ask you another, may, another, another no. question about Grand Theft Auto. I mean, so, so let's go right over the media thing. Let's go right back to video games. Grand Theft Auto. There's probably some viewers out there playing yes. this all the time. All right, this turns, uh, yes. when you kill people, you win points, right? <laughs> For example, you kill a prostitute, right. and that's a big thing. You get to win points. I mean, right. you know, I find that offensive it's, and it's, disgusting, but... Oh, uh, hold on, Aaron. As a prostitute, I find that <laughs> offensive. Exactly. As a prostitute, I find that very offensive. You don't kill hookers <laughs> i find that offensive that would be like me does that mean that those people who play that game are more likely to kill people no it's heinous it's more than so he's saying no now she's she's gonna have to discredit this guy uh, law prof uh, professor discussing it's heinous and it's possible that boys who, who watch that for a long period of time might stand back when fighting occurs and not protect someone or engage in domestic violence but there's no, no proof of that either they're going to go out get a gun and shoot someone absolutely no proof at all all right well thank you very much we appreciate your taking the time and 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 uh you know giving some some provocative uh, answers there provocative answers provocative answers Still to come, new developments. provocative answers you know yes controversial and provocative answers so this is uh this is what it's going to be fact Guns don't kill people. Video games kill people. Fact. When you kill hookers in Grand Theft Auto, you want to kill people for points in real life. Fact. Oh, she's an idiot. You're oh, a yeah. She, well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Douchebag. She's not just... She's a CFR member. She's in that drinking so club. When, 
So while we're on this topic, I know... And then listen to this. This is a commercial for uh, MSNBC moving forward or whatever their their Nazistic uh, slogan is. Listen to... Tell me what's missing. We must have a renewed fight for many of the things we fought for because voting rights and women's rights and the rights of people against discrimination, whether they're African-American, Latino, lesbian, and gay, must be protected until we have a nation that is really living up to the creed of one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Not all of one kind, but all. All right. What did you miss? I don't know. I couldn't. I'd be damn near put me to sleep halfway through. What did I miss? Okay, so two things. First of all, um, no uh, racism against uh, blacks, Latinos, gays, lesbians, but nothing about white people or women or you know. There was a, so that's all that is. But no, he uh, he left out God. He's doing the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation, indivisible, and then he says, with liberty and justice for all. What happened to the God part? And he's a supposedly and he's the reverend. Yeah, listen to it again. It was really crazy. He's huh. really living up to the creed of one nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I don't mind, but I thought it's interesting. He is the reverend Al Sharpton, is he not? Yeah. 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 yeah so. I think he's an atheist. I think he's an a-hole. That's what well, I think. That's, that goes without saying. The rest of it is up for debate. Meanwhile, um, I will be starting a new business when we move into town. I have a, a new business idea. Uh, Dutch bikes in Austin. Some For some reason, in America in general, someone decided that bicycles could only be one of two kinds. Uh, 10-speed racing bicycles... Uh, or mountain bicycles. What happened to the utility bicycle? Like, you know, a, a bike... Yeah, the, cheap, the regular old cheap bike you used to have when you were a kid. Well, not just that, but one that has a basket. Yeah, with a basket in front. Yeah, a utility bicycle. What happened to this concept? I, I, I checked every single bicycle store all, in Austin. I, I go around here where there's all these bike lanes, and there's nobody using the bicycle like that to go to the store in there. No, they got their Speedos on, and they got a high-speed <laughs> bike, and they're pumping away up and down and up and down. They're not doing anything. I mean, they're just ex- it's exercise. You might as well be on a stationary bike if you're just going to exercise in the bike lane. When you're in Holland, there's people are going from point A to point B. They're not yes. exercising. But in Austin- they're not demanding a bike lane because so I can exercise in the bike lane. No, that, and and Austin Austinites, you know, they ride bikes a lot. I think it's. I think but, you stumbled but, onto something. You stumbled onto the fraud of bicycling. Yeah, but what happened? I mean, I mean, it, if they would just, yeah, fixies. That's what they're called. They're called fixies. But you just need to just. I mean, I think people would really take to it. You know, we're going to be living right near South Congress. It's a little too. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a little too far to walk. But you know, we drove from the new house uh, to South Congress to get some lunch. I'm like, this is stupid. I mean, I'd taken more time to park than, you know, and you have to diagonal park back into the parking spots on South Congress, which is kind of cool, but it's a pain in the ass. No, it's not cool. And, uh, you know, but it's like, I just, I just want a bike. And then I'm looking around. The only reason they have those types of things is to make sure people have their front license plate. It's a I, scam. I don't have a front license plate and I never got well, a gonna, ticket. Well, you're probably going to get a ticket. No, I'm not back in parking bull crap. So I, um, uh, so I, no, I, I, I want a bike. I look at, do you know what a bike costs? You can't get a bike, 
Uh, you, you want to buy a bike? It's like you get a mountain bike or a 10-speed bike. $900 for a freaking bike. <laughs> Which will get stolen. Uh, maybe, maybe no not. No one will steal you the bike you're talking but about. But in Amsterdam, I can just go to the central station and just like some junk will sell me a bike for 10 euros, you know, and then that'll get stolen and I'll buy another one. It's a rotating system. But just a utility bicycle where you can put your briefcase in if you're going to the office. You know, this Austin is a great, it's flat, g- generally flat. You know, this a, we have lots of room to ride your bike. People ride bikes, but they're stupid. You got to, you know, you got to have... You, you know, you got no uh, fenders, so when, if it if it rains and you get wet, because you know, the fenders, you know, you, the light, you have to put a light on your arm. What happened to a light on the bicycle? This is stupid. We need a reset. And I was a kid. <laughs> we had bikes that had lights. I'm telling you. And we'd make noise with playing cards and, in the spokes. And you could put your girlfriend on the back of the bike and... She can be riding with you. Yeah. It's cute. Or on the front. On the handlebars. Then when I was a kid, yeah, I had my girlfriend riding on the handlebars. There were songs about this. Hold on. There were songs about There's me. a law against it now. <laughs> there were songs. Uh, let me see. I've got to find the song now. I had a bike. <laughs> it had fenders. <laughs> You're laughing at me. But I and think it had one speed. I, th- <laughs> I think this is a business. I think there's a business you, you in pump uh, at the one speed in in uh, what is it called Fixie Fixie bikes. You yeah. buy this bike. The Alessi she- brothers. Oh, Lori, I'd like to ride my bicycle with you on the handlebars. You laugh and run away. Do I? I mean, come on. There's songs about this stuff. No. Now you can't ride on the front of your 10-speed bike on you the handlebar. You put a helmet on. <laughs> yeah, and we don't need helmets in Austin, even better. Don't need helmets. Stupid. You look like the doofus with your helmet on. Like you're going so fast. Well, that's the end of our clip show number two. Uh, for uh, <laughs> What is it? <laughs> No, no, we leave that in because that sounds so incredibly insincere. It was great. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's just like I we were sitting here listening to the clip show with you. <laughs> uh, right. Well, okay, let's, let's be honest. We, yeah, we, we did weren't. These, these cut-ins at the, before we produced the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of hard. We're, we, we perform from a natural perspective. Yes, if we we're, do. You know, we're trying to fake it. It makes it sound like we're faking it because we're not. <laughs> it great sounds actors. really bad when we fake it. <laughs> but that's that's makes the sh- that's why we're we're the best podcast in the universe. We don't bullcrap you. We don't. We have another show coming up on Sunday. We yeah. want to make sure that people realize it's all original content. You haven't heard this stuff before, unless you listen to the book show. The, the, the one thing Adam has is old, but it's not yeah. that old. It's it's relevant, and so it'll be a good show. Uh, Everybody's still floating around. I, I'm gonna. Hopefully, I'll be in Detroit when I'm hearing this live. Are you really, you really, are you really planning on going to Detroit? You're really, I would like to. Yes, I would like to do that. To, to pack I've some, already got pack some, some heat. Oh, he's <laughs> <laughs> got heat. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but it's not that All right. kind of heat. So um, we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, please remember that we would like to uh, continue with our producerships. You're gonna get full credit. In the show notes for each episode, but of course we'll be thanking you personally on August 1st when we return with a, a full-on live uh, no agenda on uh, is that uh, that'll be Thursday the first. 
Uh, Dvorak.org slash NA. We do need your help contributions. Also, any birthdays that we miss, we'll do that belated as well. All right. Well, play the play the uh, play us out, Maestro. Really? You want to have the whole music? Yeah. Okay. Well, we can do that. That's kind of cool, I guess. Um, and yeah. So the clip show. Uh, this was the clip show again. Thank you very much, Ramsey Kane. Really appreciate the work you did on that. Noagendacd.com, which his boss pays him to do that. I'm not. I'm still He's not got quite a great sure. Boss. I'm not sure. I'm still not quite sure how that works, but I like it regardless. And uh, tell me about the guy that you uh, that you interviewed for uh, the show on Sunday. Yes, John Dixon. He's a former uh, Air Force intelligence guy who runs a software security operation in Texas, and uh, he has some thoughts on uh, the NSA and all the other stuff going on. I thought it was interesting enough to to put it together as an interview. Right. So that, along with um, Daniel Suarez from uh, Kill Decision, and of course. Uh, Demon and Freedom TM. Uh, so enjoy that. That'll be on Sunday. We'll talk to you again on then to intro that show. Uh, coming to you from somewhere in the United States of Europe, I'm Adam Curry. And from Northern Silicon Valley, where I'm on tape, I'm John C. Dvorak. Okay, make sure you catch it on Sunday right here on No Agenda. <laughs>